I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. I can't wait for today. I've been so excited to share this interview with you since the moment it was over, really. It's filled with energy and so much insight. Today, you get to hear from Amy Nielsen. She is the owner of the Big Abilities blog and podcast. In addition to her writing for her own blog, she writes for The Playground Magazine, The Mighty, and National Autism Resources. She and her family are located in Orlando, Florida, and I definitely need to plan a trip there to meet her in person. Amy's life changed when she and her husband had another child at age 45. Her son was diagnosed early on with autism and ADHD. Amy went from being a teacher, career-focused in education, and a mother of three almost grown kiddos to staying home, caring and advocating for her son. This is an amazing story. Amy and I met in a group online, and I cannot tell you how encouraging she has been to me. She's brilliant, energetic, and has vision that is contagious. She has great insight for caregivers that each of us really need to hear. This is an interview you won't want to miss. Let's listen in. I am so glad you're here and joining us today, and I feel a little starstruck. Oh, that's so sweet to say, and so do I. Oh, well, I'm so honored to be on your show. <laughs> it's really fun to connect like this. This is really fun. So I have, I really did want to tell you that you have been such, and honestly, such an encouragement to me starting this podcast when we connected on Facebook, and seriously, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I just truly believe in what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. So let's get started. I'd love for you just to give us a little introduction. Tell us what you do. Tell us about your family and friends and stuff. Sure. Well, I am first and foremost a mother. I have four amazing children. The interesting thing is my children range in age from four to 31. That's usually a shock to people when they hear that. Wow. So I, my oldest is 31 years old. Her name is Danielle. She mm-hmm. is an elder law attorney. And then my, my youngest daughter is 21. She is currently getting ready to start cosmetology school. She's the creative child of the family. She started in interior design and then went to social media marketing. And now she's headed to cosmetology. I love so hopefully that. This, I know, hopefully this is her thing. And then I have an 18-year-old son who is a wheeler and a dealer and a, a deal maker. And he is in business school, which will suit him perfectly. And then my little guy, Barkley, is four. And he has ADHD and autism and is the spark and joy of our family. I am married to a super nice Canadian husband named Brent. And currently, I'm a freelance writer. And I also run a blog and podcast, Big Abilities. That is a platform for special needs children. 
And prior to that, I was a middle school teacher and I ran the library. So I technically was a librarian. They call it media specialist. Uh And I also taught TV production. So that's kind of a little bit of my background and my family. Wow. So you have a lot of what you used to be. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I used to be a media specialist. I used to be a teacher. (laughs) That's great. So I have to tell you my, so we have four kids and my son is the oldest, but my oldest daughter is a lawyer too. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they're about the same age. So I love lawyers, lawyer daughters. I know. (laughs) Well, today, actually, my daughter is taking an eight hour exam to get certified in elder law. So I've got my fingers crossed for her today. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a big deal. Those are big deal exams. Yeah, it really is. So tell us a little bit about Barkley, about your son. Sure. Well, currently he is four years old. He'll be five soon. And around 18 months of age, we noticed a red flag in his development that I had not seen in my previous children. And it was literally one word. And because people ask me, how did you know that there was something developmentally different about your child? And I think I haven't having been an educator for 17 years and raising three children, I really knew what developmental milestones he should be reaching at each stage. Sure. So one one morning he is standing at the baby gate waving bye as his dad's leaving for work. And he said, bye, dad. And I was so excited because he was combining two words. And typically you expect like a language boom after. Right. And so the next day he's standing at the baby gate and he goes by. D. And mm-hmm. it was as if that word was stuck. Yeah. And I will never forget this because I was in the kitchen And to me, it was like this deafening alarm in the spotlight on my child. And I had no idea what it meant, but I knew that this was not what should be happening. He should be, his speech should be improving. He shouldn't be regressing. And so. Do you remember that, like that specific time as a time when you knew that things were going to change? Absolutely. And the people around me didn't see that. They're like, Mm. we're making a big deal out of nothing. You know, boys talk later than girls and it's not a big deal. But I knew this was something very different. And then he did go on to get initially diagnosed with a speech delay. And then six months later, ADHD. And then another six months later, autism. Mm -hmm. That was a tough year. (laughs) And Uh, each time I'd, each time I'd get one of those diagnoses, I'd feel like this punch to the gut is what I tell people, you know, like, you feel helpless. Like, what is going on? I don't know how to handle this. This is something new in my world. And I want to help my child. I want to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. Mothers are fixers, right? Right. We want to fix our kids problems, or at least help them. And so I, I couldn't do that. And then eventually he got kicked out of his typically developing preschool. And we started down the path of lots and lots and lots of therapy. And it's it's been challenging. We're at a place of peace now and acceptance. And I couldn't be happier with my little guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a journey. Definitely is a journey. And it's, a, it's a big learning curve. Sure. So you did kind of have to come to a place of acceptance. You were just saying like that is that's a journey in itself. Absolutely. Right. It, it really is. And it wasn't easy for me because. The first time I had a big change in my life was when I was 17 years old and found out I was pregnant. Mm, And that 
that was a very big change. I was in a troubled family at the time, and my parents couldn't take care of themselves in that moment, much less me. So I was kind of on my own, making some not so good choices because 17 year olds without parents around to support them, you know, tend to kind of hang with the crowd that's going to go with the flow as well. So that was kind of me was just kind of out there floating around as a teenager without any guidance or direction. Yeah. But getting pregnant for me, it saved me, I believe. And it made me want to be a better person. I wanted to be a good role model for my daughter. I wanted to be able to support her. And so it, it really rescued me, I think. That's fascinating. I love that story. It, it's so true. And so I went to college as a single mother and decided to become an educator because I just found this passion for children. And so I loved my teaching career and felt very confident always as a teacher. And I always felt very confident as a parent. And so then when I had my little guy, all of that went out the window because there is nothing to prepare you for being the parent of a special needs child. The things that you did with your other children will not work. And so that was a big adjustment for me as well, because since I was 17 years old, I felt pretty in control of things mm -hmm. that if a situation came up, I could figure out how to handle it. I had good classroom management skills. I always had pretty well-behaved students. Mm -hmm. But this was something that kind of knocked me off of my feet initially. So you had to kind of get used to accepting the fact that you weren't competent or you didn't feel competent at this. Exactly. When you'd felt competent your whole life, really. And or you could exactly. find competence somehow, right? Yeah. That you're exactly right. This was something that I felt was happening to me at the mm. time. That's an interesting way to put of, it. Yeah. It, well, it's kind of in a way a little bit selfish when I look at it now. I felt like my son's autism was happening to me mm -hmm. and impacting me more than him because he's perfectly happy. Sure. He doesn't care that he has ADHD and autism. As long as he's got Star Wars and mac and cheese, life is good. You know? right. So it was, it was hard for me. And I went through a pretty challenging time that probably is what changed the course of my attitude and perspective. And that was when he was about three years old, we were going along pretty well. And when I got pregnant with him, I knew I needed to make friends with people that had children his same age, especially during pregnancy, to have that community. Because when I got pregnant at 45, shockingly enough, all of my friends were done having kids. Right. <laughs> so so I, uh, I made some friends with some younger women, and we all had children the same age. And after he got kicked out of his preschool, and that was because children with autism have very different needs than children that don't have autism. Yeah. And so his needs couldn't be met in this preschool, even though they were trying. So he, he got released from that program. And I found an intensive summer program for him in ABA therapy. Mm -hmm. And ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis. And it is a research-based proven therapy for children with autism to help them overcome some of their struggles. So I found this program. So my plan was I was going to put him in the six-week summer program and they would magically fix all of the challenging behaviors he had and he would go right back to preschool in the fall. Well, over that summer, 
my friends and I were having a conversation about what we were going to do when our kids started preschool in the fall. And one of the mothers was going to send her child to a Spanish immersion preschool. And one mother was going to send her child to a science-based preschool. And one mother was going to send her child to a Montessori preschool. And all of a sudden, in that moment, it hit me. Mm. My son was not prepared to go to preschool that fall. Right. And I think that was the time that I really realized, even though we've been on the journey for 18 months, but I really realized our path for his life was going to look very different than the path for his same age peers. And also the path of your life was going to be different. Absolutely. And I did something in that moment that I look back on as kind of a shocking behavior out of me. And I ended those friendships. I told my friends right now, it is hard for me to be friends with people that have children my son's same age that don't have autism. And I need to be in the most positive headspace possible to help him overcome some of these challenges that he faces and for me to feel like I was a good mother. So that happened. And my husband's reaction was, what did you just do? <laughs> you have, he says, you've been friends with these women for two years yeah. and have gotten very close. We had gone on vacations together and you just ended those friendships. And hearing his shock, that kind of surprised me too. I was like, okay, that actually was a really bizarre thing for me to do. So I need to go get therapy to figure out why that happened. Uh -huh. And I looked for a therapist who had experience working with families impacted by autism. And I found one. And as someone who used to be a therapist, you probably <laughs> had clients like me. Yeah. I walk in and I say, I am not going to lie on your couch and cry about my childhood. This is why I'm here. Fix it. <laughs> right. Just make it better right now. I exactly. don't want to talk about anything. I just want to. Yep. Yep. And, and she was like, well, okay. And so we got to work and I went to her for about six months and I'm sure I'll go back at some point. And don't Wendy, we all, we all need that. I think. Yes. It was life changing for me. Mm. She helped me so much. And I got two takeaways from my experience with her. And one was that this isn't a problem that I have to fix. Autism isn't a problem. It is a part of my son's truth. And I was living under this emotional burden of what can I do to fix my child? And her helping me understand that, it was just so freeing. I don't have to know all these answers. I don't have to feel like my son is broken. He isn't. He is who he was supposed to be. And I'm so grateful that I was chosen to be his mother. So she helped me come to that realization. And the second takeaway was that I needed a support system. I just cut part of my support system off, but I needed a quality support system. And I never really in my entire life built a support system for myself. I was always everyone else's. Sure. And, and I was okay with that. But this is bigger than me. And I needed a support system. And so I decided after I got through my therapy and felt good with what I'd learned and, and all the outcomes that I had, that I was going to create a way to systematically build myself a support system. Because my son's, his level of success depends on my success as his parent. And my success as his parent isn't going to be where it needs to be 
if I don't have a support system helping me get there. And so I developed a support system structure and it worked for me. And so now I feel just so empowered that I have this strong system around me and all my support system wants to do is help me be the best me that I can be. And then I can be the best parent to him that he needs. That's so cool. I mean, then you wrote a book about it. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, Uh, it's amazing. I got a chance to read a little bit of it. So I'm really I'm excited to read the rest. But I want to go back a little bit to your expectations. So through therapy, when you were going to counseling, you kind of figured out this isn't a problem for my son, like this is his life. And this is the the journey that he's on that's going to be beautiful and hard and wonderful and chaotic and all of that stuff, right? Everything. And you just kind of accepted that. But how did you get to the place of accepting your own new future? I mean, you had expectations, we all do for our life and what it's going to look like, right? And then this comes into your life. And now you're like, how did you get to that place of okay, I mean, you're happy, you're so blessed to be his mom, right? You were saying that. And I've heard you say that at other times, too. But there was loss, right? So how did you get to that place? It reminds me of an episode that I just listened to on your podcast of you with Jill Price. Because she and I both became parents later in life. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is a big change, right? So I can't imagine. uh, when I was listening to that interview you did with her, I was just like so many times going, yes, I completely understand what she's saying. You do lose a little bit of that freedom you almost had because I was like Jill, almost an empty nester. And also when my husband and I first met, I already had three children and he didn't have any. So when he asked me, do you want to have another child? I was like, what? <laughs> You're kidding, right? But he really wanted to be a parent. And also I was at a time in my life where I could be home and I was Mm -hmm. never able to do that with my other three children. I was always working. So I, I really longed for that experience of being that stay at home mom that can witness all those milestones and be my child's primary caregiver. So that was a big change in my life to begin with was leaving the workforce as an instructor, being home, Uh, being a mother again at 45 years old and losing a little bit of that freedom that I had of being able to just throw my kids in the car and go anywhere. And then add to that, you know, the special needs that my son has. And at first we made some very big mistakes going places that we thought we could take my son to that maybe were dangerous. He is an eloper and in the autism world, What that means is a child or a person that doesn't understand or recognize the signs of danger and would like walk away Mm -hmm. and not think about what they were doing or know how to get back where they were or not recognize the dangers of traffic or bodies of water. And it's a real big fear. And there was a few times we went to say we got invited to a birthday party and we go and actually this happened. We go to this birthday party at a park. It's not fenced in. And it's not even really a park. There was just a gazebo there. And so this gazebo was sandwiched between a parking lot and open body of water. Two things that are just giant dangers. And so for like an hour, I'm just protecting my child from himself. 
and and having no fun. (laughs) I'm just running around after him, keeping him out of the water, keeping him from jumping in front of a car. And so I had to really rethink what does our new normal look like? When most people are taking baby gates down and latches off of cabinets, we're fortifying the safety precautions around our home. And that's just the reality of it. And I'm at a place now where I am okay if we can't attend a family member's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And my family member understands why I can't take my son to their house. Maybe they have a dog and my son is terrified of barking dogs or whatever it may be. And I have to be willing to make those accommodations. At first, I felt a little bit of loss. But now I learned that there are things I can do. And we've just altered what our family looks like a little bit. Right now, my youngest daughter that was in interior design school, she has created, I'm actually looking at it right now, a vision board, I think oh, is what it's called. I love that. Of, yeah, of my, she's redoing my son's bedroom and making it sensory friendly and safe because right now he has a big bookcase in there with a baby monitor on top. And sometimes he tries to climb up and pull it down and things like that. So she's created this just beautiful, he loves space and planets. And so it's all based on the solar system with all these soft fabrics and soft lights. And we just ordered a bed for him. He's, He's still in his crib at almost five. So we just ordered a safe bed that has railings all around it. And so she's redoing his room based on the specific sensory needs that he has. And I just love that my entire family is now on board with, you know, this is, this is Barkley's reality. This is his truth. We're going to accept it and we're going to be accommodating because that's what families do. You rally around what needs to be done and support each other as individuals. And it's taken us I like I say, all the while to get here, but we are a stronger family unit. We are a happier family unit and I wouldn't change a thing, even if I could. <laughs> it sounds like they, they're not just even, it's not even just that they're accommodating, but they're actually like trying to engage with some real beautiful changes. And like, I don't know that like just making that room thing that that's cool. That's a, Oh, She's so excited. She's putting glow-in-the-dark stars and all these things. And she's researched how to make a sensory-friendly bedroom for a child with autism. And it just makes me feel so happy. Also, the fact that her couple of classes she took at interior design are paying off. <laughs> <laughs> right? You get something out of it. That's a, that's a plus. Exactly. I'll tell you. And my, my older child, Danielle, is a, an elder law attorney. And one of the things she specializes in is special needs trust. So she's helped create a special needs trust for our son. And my my 18-year-old is Barkley's superhero brother. Mm -hmm. So my 18-year-old son, Trent, drives a big jacked-up truck. He loves his truck. And when he gets here, Barkley will be like, Trent is here in his monster truck. And he just Uh. loves that truck. And his brother comes in and swoops him up and just squeezes him and plays video games with him. Which for Barkley playing a video game is he's holding the remote thinking that he's driving the car when really his brother's driving the car for him. But it's just so cute. And and just to see your kids embrace their special needs sibling in a way that is just so innocent and so loving and and that they don't expect anything from in return, you know? 
Yeah. Barkley just being a part of their family is is gift enough and to all of us. So he's been an absolute blessing. And if anyone is listening and you're in the middle of the diagnosis process and early on and it's hard and there is a learning curve, especially with how to manage some of the sensory sensitivities and some of the anxiety and some of the meltdowns, just know you're going to get there. You're going to get through it. You're going to get to a place where you know you got this. Yeah. And that's one of the messages that I like to try to encourage through my blog and my podcast is you got this. And if you don't have it yet, you'll get it because you're going to find experts out there that can help get you to the point where you know confidently you're going to be okay. Yeah. And I I would just say too that we all are in a moment in time, right? Like we are in this one moment in time right here. And it feels sometimes those moments feel really heavy and hard and confusing and sometimes chaotic and sometimes, you know, sad or sometimes happy, but we're in a moment in time and it doesn't mean that that moment is going to last forever. Right. So you're going to exactly. get through that moment and find a different experience on the other side of that moment. And that's something that's very, very important right there, especially for families of a special needs child, because my son has meltdowns and they're not pretty. They're very hard and very difficult to manage. And I have to tell myself in the middle of that meltdown that I might be getting kicked or scratched or he might be screaming that he's not giving me a hard time. He's having a hard time and it isn't forever. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to be over in about five minutes or less. And so telling yourself that, even saying it out loud, this is temporary. This is going to end. It is key. It's a moment in time. That's right. That's so true. So I do have another question. You know, you were talking about how it impacted the relationship with your, your kids. They kind of stepped up and you saw a new side of them. This is something that you would not have seen, really. Absolutely. Without that. But it has to have impacted your marriage as well. So what did it do for yours? I mean, did it bring you closer? Was there, did it create conflict at times? I'm sure it did. Like, I mean, I, I'd love to hear that. Sure. My husband, his name's Brent. I think Jill's husband's name was Brent also, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. My husband is the most accepting, loving, down to earth, easygoing guy on, on earth. And I'm the uptight one, you know, (laughs) he has followed my lead on everything. Even in the beginning, when I noticed this very subtle red flag, he's like, if you think that there's something going on, I'm completely in support of us, you know, having this evaluation done where a lot of husbands, a lot of fathers, they're in denial. Mm -hmm. I see that so often the moms have accepted their child's truth and dad's in denial, not my son, not my child. My husband has accepted everything from day one, and he handles it with much more grace than me. I get very nervous in public that my son's behavior or something may look atypical, or he might negatively impact somebody's lunchtime if we have him out by a meltdown or something. And that that bothers me a lot, and I get very anxious over it. My husband doesn't care. He can just tune it all out. And I think we were close before. Uh I think it's definitely brought us closer and the bond between he and Barkley is just the sweetest, most loving thing. 
every day when my husband comes home for work, Barkley hides behind the wall. And when he hears the door open, he jumps out and he roars like a dragon mm. to scare his dad. Brent always pretends like he's scared. but And then they just hug mm. and, and Barkley will say, it's so nice to meet you, you know, <laughs> which is so, so funny. That's just one of his phrases he says when he sees you, if he, even if he's seen you a thousand times, it's so nice to meet you. And it's just so precious. But my husband is a great father and completely accepting of his son's diagnosis, of his son's truth, and and okay with it. And he also, when I say, I'm sorry, we are not getting on a plane and taking two four-hour flights to Vancouver to see your family for a very long time, he accepts it <laughs> because oh. my son just can't handle that right now. Fortunately, his family comes and visits us. We're in Orlando, Florida. So it's a big flight for us to get to Vancouver, but they'll come visit us because they understand too. It's just challenging right now, but it's definitely brought us closer. There's never been a time that both of us are having challenges with this. So there are days that I'm stronger uh-huh. and there are days that he's stronger. And fortunately, there aren't days where both of us are at the bottom. <laughs> you know? There's all there's always one person to say, hey, that's a blessing, be, right? It, it really is. And we've, we've acknowledged that with each other. And I think it causes one of us to step up. Like most of the time, my son has a great day and he's in multiple hours of therapy a day. Most of his life is spent in therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that we've had to come to terms with. My son's not on a little league team. He doesn't spend weekends at birthday parties. We're in lots and lots of therapy, mm-hmm. but we've come to terms with that. And some days it doesn't go well. And if it doesn't go well in therapy, when I pick him up, it usually doesn't go well at home. And recently we're working on cleaning up his diet. He's limited himself down to very few foods and they're not the healthiest of foods. So along with guidance from his developmental pediatrician, we are trying to clean his diet up a little bit. And that should have a a big help on his overall health to begin with. But He's not transitioning quite easily. And so. Well, none of us really do. You know. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm trying to clean up my diet too. It's not working out for me. Yeah. It's really hard. So that's causing a little more aggression, a little more uh, Mm non-compliance out of him. And the other day I was just like, my husband gets home. Like I am just beat. I'm exhausted. I need to go take a bath. And he's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I got it. You know, we just tag team and it works. I actually talked about you the other day on my last podcast, I think episode four, I talked about you because I heard you talk about taking a bath, like 15 minutes before, isn't that wasn't that you that we talked about that, that take a bath 15 minutes before bedtime. I love that. That's part of my self care routine. (laughs) Such a great self care routine. That might be one of the things that you've learned through this is self-care but so important you've talked about a lot of things like things that you've learned about your kids and even learned about your husband but is there something else that you learned through this that you would not have learned any other way well I think we'll go with what you said with self-care before I believe I took care of myself but I didn't think about it it was just organically happened I'd go get my nails done or I'd go out to lunch with a friend and it just happened it wasn't like anything I had to systematically think about or plan for I just did those things sure it wasn't intentional but it just happened correct Mm -hmm. it just happened but now I make sure 
that I hit all areas of self-care that are important to me every day. It is that important because my son has very big needs and I need to be very well prepared to fill those big needs. And Mm -hmm. if I'm not taking care of myself and in any area, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not getting enough physical activity, if I'm not eating healthy, if I'm not giving my brain a rest, if I'm not socializing with a friend, I mean, all of these things are important for me to then dial in when he's home and give him exactly what he needs. Yeah. So self-care is, I believe, the biggest factor in the effectiveness of a parent of a special needs child. And it's probably the biggest area where special needs parents don't do the best job because we feel putting our needs above the needs of our child or even putting our needs in the equation, we're doing our child a disservice. And that's absolutely the opposite. Self-care is not selfish. It's selfless. Yeah. I think that is a really good observation that people don't take care of themselves. And that's not even just for folks that have kiddos with special needs issues, but just anybody who is taking care of a really, I'm going to say the word loud situation, right? So like anybody who's going through stuff that there are other people who are just their needs are louder around them, right? And they're the ones that are making the noise basically around their needs. And so it's very hard to quiet all of that demand, right? And to say, okay, I have to take care of myself for a bit here. And and step back a minute so that I can come back and be present for you. Yep. It is a challenge for for a lot of people, for most people. I mean, I would say everybody until you figure out it doesn't work without it. Well, and I think as a parent of a special needs child, you have a little less time, but it's still important. And I've had to rethink what self-care post Barkley looked like before was different. Now it's, it's had to change. So I don't have the time to go visit with friends like I used to, or, you know, take him on a play date and visit with a mom because I can't just take him anywhere. It's a challenge. So self-care for me is, is different. So a lot of my interaction with other adults is via social media mm-hmm. or, you know, like I've joined many online mom groups, some for special needs children, some just mom groups. And so I do a lot of socializing that way. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time sometimes or the energy to want to go spend an hour at the gym. I work out while my son's in the shower. Like I have to be at the room with him. I do yeah. planks. I do all, I have my shower exercise routine. That probably sounds weird to people, but it's taking the little bits of time that you have and making sure you fill your needs. Yeah, that's great. You have had to come up with a system and you have had to, I mean, I kind of want to move to this because I want you to be able to talk about it. You have sure. learned to create a village, right? Yes. In very different ways. And so I would love for you to talk about your village and your your book and stuff. Sure, I'd love to. My book is called It Takes a Village, Get Your Hands Dirty and Build Yours from the Ground Up. It is very easy for people, and I don't want to sound uh, harsh when I say this, but it's real easy to victimize yourself and say, I don't have anybody. My parents can't look after my child. I don't have any friends. And that's a lot of times how we feel. But here's the thing. 
people aren't going to come knocking on your door saying, can I be part of your support system? They're just not. Everybody's busy. And honestly, people don't know if you need help. Mm -hmm. But if you go knocking on the doors of the people that care about you asking for their help, they're going to open up that door. And that's what I realized when I went through therapy. So after I was done with the six months of therapy, and I mentioned I decided to create a systematic approach to building a support system. And the first thing I realized is that the first part of your support system, the first part of your village is you. Before you look outward, you have to look inward. And so the first chapter of the book is about self-care, the whole chapter, all different areas of self-care, how to work that into your existing busy schedule and why it's so important. And then the next chapter is on the importance of your home as being a part of your building your village. Because if you live in a space that is cluttered and chaotic, and you as a therapist, you know this, that yeah. clutters and makes your brain chaotic. Mm-hmm. I tell this all the time, but when I was a children's librarian, I used to be at elementary level, then went to middle school. But when I was at elementary, one of my favorite books to read to my students was called Sally's Room by Mary Kay Brown, I believe. And the story is this little girl. She has a cluttered and messy room. And her mother's Sally, clean your room, Sally, clean your room. And she just never wants to do it. So she goes to school one day. The clutter from her room has followed her to school and she sees it outside the window. She is so embarrassed because everyone can see all of her messy clutter. Mm -hmm. So she runs home to beat the clutter. The room is empty. She starts dancing and she feels happy and it inspires her when the clutter returns to get everything organized. So that's kind of the example that I use. I love that. So the second chapter is strategies to help get your physical space decluttered and organized because you need your mind as clear and clean as possible to do the work that you need to do, even if you don't have a child with special needs. I love that. And then the third chapter is your family. And again, sometimes you have to rethink how your family is a part of your support system. My parents don't have the capability of looking after my child, so they can't be part of my support system in that way. But I can pick up the phone and call either one of them at any time of the day, and they'll listen to whatever I want to talk about, some challenging behavior we had that day or some triumph we overcame And they listen with intent and with joy. And I've actually told them, mom, dad, I know you can't look after Barkley, but I just want you to know this is how I need you to be a part of my support system. Make it intentional and known. And then people understand. And my mom feels so important when I call her because she knows this is what I'm doing for my daughter. And she needs this because she's told me. And then your next step of your support system is your friends. And again, this is intentional. I didn't have one friend that had a child with autism when I started this journey as a parent of a special needs child. So I made them. And now I have a whole support system and we get together once a month for coffee. It doesn't happen every month. Sometimes everyone can't come, but we try to. And that's the time where we sit together and it's just all things autism for the entire two hours. (laughs) And then when I'm with my friends that are outside the special needs community, I try to leave that topic alone at least as much as possible, because you can't always live in that space. You have to also be around people and talk about things that just interest you as a person, the things you were interested in before you had a special needs child, because it is very easy to stay just inside that world. Because again, 
we as special needs parents kind of feel guilty if we leave it. If we do something we enjoy, like meeting a friend to go to a painting class, oh, I should be at home researching ABA therapist. So both friend groups are important. And then the next chapter is your professional support system and your child's professional support system. And that's your therapists, doctors, teachers, counselors, coaches, podcasters, coaches, every, all of these people. So you have a support system and your child has a support system. And then finally, the last level of that support system, or at least for me, is nonprofit organizations. And there are so many of these nonprofit organizations that want to do nothing more than help you and your family, usually at no cost to you. And so the book lists a lot of those organizations that exist at a national level, but then gives the reader tips and suggestions on how to find those organizations also at their local level. So I think all of those are important. And along with the book comes a free downloadable guide to help walk you through each of these parts of your support system and how to strengthen whatever level your support system is in that area and gives you a step-by-step process in doing that. When you systematically go through a process like that, it makes you feel in control. It makes you feel like I am the one responsible for this and I can do it. I can build a support system for myself and for my family. And I did it. I love that. Thank you. And I feel so confident about I have so many people right now that I could reach out to for a variety of things and everyone can have that. I firmly believe every single person can have the support system that they need. And I love that you did that, not just for you, but for Barkley. I mean, just think about all the people that have come around him now because of that, because of your intentionality and, and not just having good intentions. We, I talked about that the other day too, just like not having good intentions, but you actually intentionally created this system not just for you again, but for him as well, that Mm -hmm. he, he now feels that and how great is that? And I also, I'm just gonna keep going here. I also wanted to say, I mean, when you're talking about this, it just like bless my heart, because my, my dad is um, a caregiver for my mom. She has dementia. And they're they both are just lovely, lovely people. This isn't a special needs kiddo, but this is a special needs spouse, right? The needs are very similar. The needs are so similar. I could see the benefit of this for anybody who is doing any kind of caregiving, and the importance of building a system around you and of bringing people in with you and, and not just that it it's blessing you and your son, but it also blesses them. I mean, think about your mom. I love that story. Exactly. And I do feel good that she now doesn't feel guilty because she has her own health needs. She doesn't feel guilty that she can't do more for me because I've told her mom, what you're doing for me by answering that phone when it rings, that means more to me than anything in the world. And so it is giving her that feeling of contribution. Yeah, people love that. They need that. Mm -hmm. So and, and like you were saying, you know, people don't often come around, they're not going to come knocking on your door, right to say people don't know what you need. And they don't know how they can help. They don't know if they are helping. They want to help, but they don't know whether what they're doing is helpful. But when you can articulate that, that's amazing. Yes. 
That's, that's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. I can't tell you what a pleasure and a honor and a great conversation. And it was helpful for me. I learned a lot. Um, But before we go, I wanted to ask you the three questions I ask everybody. But before that, I want to give you a chance to tell everybody about what you're doing and how they can connect with you. Uh, We'll put it all in the show notes too. But I just want to give you opportunity to tell us what you're doing. Well, you can find me at www.bigabilities.com. That is my blog. You also can find my podcast there, Big Abilities. And what I'm trying to do is be part of the support system of families like my own. So any parent can reach out to me for help finding resources, for just an ear to listen. And I also have a place on my website called Their Stories. So I like to highlight children with special needs and what makes them special and what makes them awesome. So you can share your child's story there if they are a Lego expert or a great swimmer because our kids have strengths. And once we help them overcome their struggles, their strengths really begin to shine. And so kind of my platform is from struggles to strengths. That's my goal to help parents feel as equipped as possible to help their children be as successful as possible. I really do love it when people can take challenges in their life and things that have been uh, hard to figure out and they then start using it to help other people. I mean, to me, that's like redeeming your Very suffering much. or whatever. It's like it yeah. redeems it. It's amazing. And it makes it, it makes it purposeful. And I'm, I'm really impressed. I don't know if that's Thanks. the right word, but well, like just, I think that's awesome. It's also somewhat therapeutic, you know, to feel like that what you've learned, you can use to help other people. And that's, that's the joy in this journey. It it really is. Otherwise, why would you go through it, right? Use your, your stuff to help other people's stuff. So, okay, here's my three questions that I ask everybody. First of all, tell us a pivotal event that changed you. I think it would have to be becoming a mother at 17 years old. I think that put me on a path to just wanting to be a good parent and a good person. And when someone depends on you, it makes you care a little bit more about yourself. So I thank my daughter for coming to my life at that age. Mm -hmm. And some people think maybe that's an odd thing to say because teenage pregnancy is never what most people hope for their child or or as a teenager, you don't plan for that to happen, but she saved my life and I will forever be grateful for that. I love that. I love, I love that story. Thank you. That story in itself should help somebody. Yes, I hope so. Yeah. Okay. The second, a person who changed you. Well, that is an easy one. One of my former bosses was a principal at the middle school that I taught at, Bill Miller. So if you're listening to this, Mr. Miller, shout out to you. He taught me so many things and probably the two biggest takeaways that have impacted my life ever since, especially having a child with special needs. One, he taught me how important it is that children need the resources they need today, not next week not next year. A kid doesn't have time for you to figure it out because they're growing and learning right now. 
And not that we should be in a panic mode. Oh, my gosh. But there is a sense of urgency when you're raising a child that if they're having some struggle, you need to do what you got to do right then to figure out how to help them. And that's how he led our school was that if you see a child struggling, you don't wait. You figure out how to help that child right then. And so I really love that message that I got from him. But he also taught me this. You love them all unconditionally. So even a child having struggles, even the children that walk through your classroom that some people feel are unlovable, you love those kids more. And I think those two messages really helped me a lot with Barkley was that Mm -hmm. I need to have a sense of urgency to get him the help that he needs. But I also need to love him unconditionally as he is through the process. So thank you, Mr. Miller. I appreciate that. I love that. That that was a great, a great answer. I love that. Thanks. I'm going to take that into my little brain, too. Okay. The third one is a book that changed you. As a former librarian, I have read thousands <laughs> of books, although I don't read as much as I want to anymore. I do more writing than I do reading. But the book that I'm going to use is written by my good friend, Beth Ann Weiss, and it is called Move Your Assets from the Chair, Not the Bank. And the reason why this book to me is life-changing is because it is all about self-care. She calls herself the asset queen, and she says she likes to think of it as moving assets, not moving, not exercising, but moving your assets because your body is your, your biggest asset. And she teaches you in this book how to make small tweaks to your daily life that don't include going to the gym for an hour or going gluten-free or whatever. Not that those are bad things, but she teaches you how to make small tweaks in what you're already doing to get big results in areas of fitness, of nutrition, mental health. And her book helped me realize that I can do 20 push-ups while my child is taking a shower, and that is good for me. And if that's Mm -hmm. all that I can do that day, then I've done something more than I would have done. And so her book is really, really good about helping you figure those things out. But also, it's twofold for me because her book also did something else for me. And you've written a book yourself, Wendy, so you know that it's a challenge to write a book. And it is, it's really hard. And I did my book first as an ebook. And that was pretty easy to format because everyone reads it differently on their whatever app they're using. They change the font, they change the size. And so you, the, the format's pretty simple. Sure. But when I went to go put it into a paperback format, I don't know if you formatted yours yourself, but I yes. did. It was so hard. It was really hard. And yeah. Beth Ann's book is done so well that I kept using it as a resource the entire time I was formatting my paperback because she did such a great job on hers. So not only is it like a wonderful resource for how to be healthy in easy, simple ways, but also literally it helped me format my book. So it was kind of like twofold. So shout out to you, Beth Ann, the asset queen, your book rocks and everybody needs it. (laughs) Great. I will put the link in the show notes. So Thank you so very, very much for being here. You are very um, welcome. I am looking forward to hearing more from you and um, having more connection. So thanks again. And I hope you have a great, great day. You too. And we will be staying connected. I'm in the middle of reading your book right now. And it is also changing my life in ways that we'll talk about later. 
Good. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. You too. Bye, Wendy. I can't thank Amy enough for her vulnerability, wisdom, and insights. I loved her system for creating a village. I can't tell you how many times that would have been helpful to me when I was talking and meeting with people and even really in my own life. My favorite part was the fact that you have to start with yourself. You have to. You are the first and most important part of your village. You have to be the priority. It feels so counterintuitive and so selfish sometimes. It feels so backwards. When you're a caregiver, you can lose yourself in the person that you're caring for. Their needs are so loud in your face. They can't be ignored. But over time, this can be very dangerous. You have to focus on your needs in order to be healthy and competent to take care of somebody else. It's the old oxygen mask saying, right? If you don't put the oxygen mask on first, before you put it on someone else, you will pass out and be of no help to anyone. So you caregivers out there, put on your mask. Even if it feels selfish, you must care for yourself first so that you can care for the person who needs you. I also loved Amy's story about becoming a teen mom and how it saved her life. I really love that so much. You know, sometimes we look at things that happen in life that seem hard or bad or seriously not in our plan. And we wonder how we're going to move on, how we're going to go on from there. Or maybe we look at other people and think they have just ruined their lives. Or maybe they've made a horrible decision and we get angry or disappointed or who knows what. But in that moment, things might seem really bad. I was reminded in Amy's story, how short sighted that is how people are resilient, and how our hard things can be redeemed. And over time, as you move forward, those hard things become the best things in our lives. I really love that reminder. Thank you for joining us today. Take care of yourselves. Redeem your story. Move forward to something amazing. Be well, my friend. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, EssentiallyBetterLife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.